Figure facts for life. We just want you to be healthy. Health and happiness. If you pay attention to what goes in your body, you'll be amazed at the results. Fuel, nourish, and heal your body. Eating healthy. Well, well that's everything. Put the right fuel in. Take care of your engine. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Roberta Janeiro. Welcome to Figure Facts for Life. I'm your host, Roberta Gennaro. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist with over 30 years clinical nutrition experience. I want to thank you for joining me today. I have uh, Dr. Jessica Dunn on the line. You know, I just wanted to um, bring her on to talk about juvenile diabetes because this month is Juvenile Diabetes Awareness Month, and I think a lot of people are just not really aware of how uh, prevalent it is and some of the latest research that's being done to hopefully prevent um, type 1 diabetes in children. So with that, I want to say hello, Jessica. Hi, how are you, Roberta? I'm good. How are you? Me. I'm doing well. Thank you. So you're a, the Senior Director for Research at the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation? Yes, I am. Okay. And actually, a few years ago, we um, decided to shorten our name just to the acronym, so just to JDRS. Oh. Uh, and a lot of it happens to do with the fact that actually over 60% of people who are diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes are adults. Uh, and so we wanted to really represent all of the, the type 1 community. And as you know, kids who get diagnosed grow up, uh, they become adults too. So actually the vast majority of people living with type 1 diabetes are adults. So you know, wow. we, we sort of shortened our name to account for, for that fact uh, just to the acronym. So if you think of like the YMCA or something similar, we're okay. just known by our, by our acronym now. I yeah. see. So um, one of the things that you're doing with them is you're leading their prevention program, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yes. And can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what type of research you support? Sure, thanks. Uh, so we at JDRF really are, are focused on um, researching the entire lifestyle of uh, type 1 diabetes from its earliest origins to uh, to the complications that often arise from having uh, type 1 diabetes for, for decades. And so within the prevention program, we are really interested in preventing type 1 diabetes. So uh, we look at all sorts of different facets of how and why type 1 diabetes develops uh, and ways to screen for type 1 and ways to better diagnose type 1 diabetes and ultimately better ways to prevent type 1 diabetes. So we have uh, a number of programs ongoing within the within the prevention portfolio. And we often get asked, um, you know, before I get into what we're doing, we often get asked or by uh, people in the community, you know, why should I care about, about prevention? Uh, and I think there's a number of reasons why people should really focus on prevention of, of disease. I think, you know, first and foremost, from a biological perspective, it's probably easier to prevent diseases than to cure diseases, but that doesn't mean that we're, we're not actively trying to figure out how to cure type 1 diabetes as well. We actually think that a lot of what we're understanding about how and why disease develops will ultimately lead us to a cure for type 1 diabetes. So as we're learning about the progression of disease, we learn what the triggers are, um, and we think that will ultimately help 
help help us uh, cure type 1 diabetes as well. And the second piece is that family members, so people who already have uh, type 1 diabetes history uh, in their families are 15 times more likely for their family members to have type 1 diabetes. So it's really important to people living with type 1 that the future generations also, uh, you know, are uh, prevented it from ever getting type 1 diabetes as well. So we have a large focus on, again, prevention for those reasons. Right. Um, And then within the the portfolio, we have a number of uh, different programs as well that I'm happy to to speak about, uh, you know, the specifics of what we're interested in. Well, and what we can do, too, is uh, give our our listeners uh, the information that uh, they could reach out to the organization for more detailed information because we we have a limited time. But I mean, I'm sure you guys have a wealth of information and knowledge in this area that really can help somebody that is looking to prevent it for their family or, you know, just really manage uh, the type one diabetes. So, I mean, as a registered dietitian, you know, I've helped uh, individuals over the years manage their diabetes. And it's it's really powerful what you can do through diet, but with type one diabetes, unlike type two, uh, you know, type one, you require replacing the insulin the body is not making. And oftentimes with type two, um, that may not be the case. Some type two diabetics end up on insulin because of mismanagement, right? right? So, um, or the pancreas just putters out. But what do you think uh, is the most exciting thing happening in the prevention research today? Because I'm all about, gosh, if you can prevent this, you know, disease, this condition, uh, gosh, it would be great for the people, you know, the families that have been dealing with it for decades and centuries, you know, years within their families. I think that that's all that's right. And I think that's a really difficult question to answer. You know, what is the one thing? Uh, that's so exciting. I think one of the, 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 something that made a splash recently was at uh, the ADA meeting in June in San Francisco, a company uh, and a group called, uh, so TrialNet and the company that's backing the drug, Prevention, not to be confused with prevention, announced the, the results of a trial looking at a drug candidate to delay type 1 diabetes onset. And so it was really exciting because for the first time, uh, in, we've been able to show that there's a drug that can delay the, the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. Uh, and then just recently, they were announced the, the company that in the drug was announced that they have breakthrough designation with the FDA, which uh, means that uh, it's intended to apply that the drug is is uh, is really, for lack of a better word, a breakthrough, or that there's really a lot of evidence suggesting that the treatment is is efficacious for for type one diabetes, and it gives them. Um, uh, you know, priority to these drug candidates with the FDA and opens up a lot of doors in terms of of getting the, the therapy across the, the approval sort of goal line. And, and that's really exciting because, you know, we have long thought that preventing type 1 was, was feasible, but now to actually have clinical evidence showing that we can prevent, delay the, the diagnosis uh, was, was has been really exciting. You know, we talk a lot about prevention overall, and while that's our ultimate goal, I, you know, I think in the short term, we also talk about delaying type 1 diabetes. So if you look in the U.S., for example, um, the average age of onset, depending on uh, what database you're using, is about between 7 and 14. Okay. Uh, and 
so we know also that um, uh, you know that that type one diabetes is hard to manage over the adolescent years uh, for all the same reasons that that adolescence is hard to manage. So all the you know physiological changes, the brain chemistry changes, the societal pressures, and so if we can think about starting to even delay the diagnosis, you know, get kids past that hump of uh, adolescence, uh, we also know that the, the disease is much easier to manage uh, post the adolescent period. So delaying is a really important first step, you know, on the road uh, to prevention. Right. Uh, and, you know, so what are what are the biggest unanswered questions in your field right now? I, you know, I, I know I've heard that some people think that you know, uh, the type 1 diabetes comes from maybe like a virus attacking the pancreas or something like that, or, uh, you know, stress in the system. You, you know, what are some of the biggest unanswered questions, would you say? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, we don't really know how and why type 1 diabetes develops. Okay. Uh, and so as you point out, that there is evidence to suggest that there may be a viral infection uh, that triggers uh, either the immune system to uh, kill off the, the beta cells that produce insulin or uh, that the virus itself is, is causing the, the, those beta cells to, to die as well. And uh, I'm not sure the mechanism of that is entirely important to understand, but I think there really is good evidence that we've, we in the field have put together over the past decade to show that viruses probably do play a role in leading to type 1 diabetes. Now, uh, along with that, there's uh, the same company that I mentioned before, Prevention, with the other drug candidate, uh, is developing a vaccine to actually test this question. And so they hope to start in their early clinical trials, their safety trials next year, and you know we'll be able to really get a definitive answer for whether or not viruses are a trigger for type 1. Having said that, I think even looking at the body of evidence that that's not the entire question and it's uh, the entire answer, and it's also not true for everyone um, in the you know who develops type one diabetes. Not everybody seems to have this viral trigger. So then the question is, what else is there? Right. Uh, and so one of the things we've been looking at, for example, is the role of the microbiome in type 1 and how that may affect development. Um, and That's then lastly, pretty powerful. A, oh, I, I actually did yeah, a, and I a can, podcast oh, and they were, you know, there's uh, research being done with autism. Uh, and mm-hmm. and looking at the microbiome and they saw, you know, significant improvements in uh, children with autism when they um, put in like transplanted healthy child microbiome, you know, so that that's, I mean, I always say now that the microbiome is kind of like the other brain center of our body and yes. <laughs> really has an impact. I want to just segue um, to your knowledge in the area of herbal remedies and stuff. I, I've worked with uh, Gymnema Silvestri with a few of my clients. And um, my understanding is that with Gymnema Silvestri, you can actually get increase in beta cell production. And I'm just curious at your level, you know, what have you seen or what are you aware of in regards to Gymnema Silvestri? Yeah, thanks for that question. I'm actually not aware of the the evidence around that specific um, herb. I know there's been a lot of um, research on other sort of natural type of supplements, uh, uh, looking at how, you know, they can either give the beta cells some rest 
um, you know, in, uh, or, or that nature. So that's particularly very interesting, too, as well. And I think, um, you know, if we go back to the microbiome type of thing, which is certainly a, a natural part of our body, there's right. been some, a lot of evidence suggesting that um, that the microbiome does shift prior to diagnosis. And so trying to understand what is causing those shifts and whether or not there are changes that, that we can make. We know that diet, for example, is a, a, you know, a key factor in shaping our microbiome, whether yes. that can help change uh, the trajectory or right. whether there are you know, things like probiotics or prebiotics that can also um, help shift uh, uh, the microbiome to sort of a, a healthy state that would lead to alleviation of some of the the stress on the beta cell. You know, you talked about how the microbiome is our our second brain. And, you know, one of the things that we've known for a long time is that the, the, you know, there's a huge immune component to our guts. Uh, And so really that's how we think that the microbiome is is helping to shift uh, the disease in terms of, of type 1 diabetes to really its effects on, on the immune system. But that all remains to be unseen. Uh, right, you know, unfolded, right? Be, you know, and, and to be seen. <laughs> right, right, it remains to be seen, yes. And, I, you know, as somebody that um, I've been, uh, was diagnosed celiac, you know, 29 years ago, I think 28, 29 years ago, that I had symptoms that I thought, you know, I was working with a physician at the time and I was like, check, check me for diabetes because I had some of the symptoms related to mm-hmm. diabetes, you know, the dry mouth, excessive thirst, you mm-hmm. know, uh, heavy urination and stuff. And he's like, no, you know, you're not diabetic. And so for me, it was gluten. And I know that gluten can tend to attack cer- certain organ systems. So I'm curious about the research with that and type one diabetes um, and, and see, you know, where that kind of goes because could it our food supply and our diets are just heavy laden with gluten um, especially in young children you know their mac and cheese their pizza you know all this stuff and if they're sensitive to it now I know that there's a doctor who came from Italy uh, Dr. Guandolini he's out of University of Chicago and when he first came here he was like where are all the celiac kids and they started doing a screening um so screening younger could potentially catch children, you know, if that's the culprit, if that's something that maybe was causing the attack on the pancreas and then manifestation of type 1 diabetes. I mean, just kind of throwing it, just talking off yeah. the cuff. But I just, I'm really excited about the research that you're doing and the research in this area. And I want to thank you for joining me today. This time goes so quickly, Jessica, but thanks again for uh, being a guest on Figure Facts for Life. I'm Roberta Gennaro. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Figure Facts LLC, all one word. Have a great day and ciao, ciao for now.